Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm not entirely sure where the Lord is going to take us this morning, but I have to have faith that it's going to be a good place, a place that brings glory to His name and a place that brings life to your heart, a place that draws you closer to Jesus. It's been a, um, a bit of a funky kind of week, and um, I think I preached about our life being noisy not long ago, and this time it's kind of been a bit more funky than it's been a bit noisy, and all of the things that go into the uh, logistics of life just getting in the way of things, even up until the point last night where my laptop screen smashed as I closed it at 11.30 last night and my preaching notes went with them. And uh, it was kind of a moment of panic and um, angst, um, but quickly into problem-solving mode and was able to recover uh, what was lost, um, except for a really expensive broken laptop screen. Uh, However, we're good. I'm here. God is good. And um, all of the other things that get in the way of us uh, I know if Shaz is listening online this week, the church bus was the bane of our existence and absorbed lots of uh, time, in particular time to prepare this week and things like that. So um, here we are, and I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful that you're here, whether you're joining us online or if you're here in person. Uh, it is always a pleasure to be worshipping uh, with you. Uh, adding to all of those things this week... Um, you know when you know when you're about to get wiped out by sickness, and that was me on Tuesday. I woke up feeling less than average. Uh, I'd done night shift in my other job the night before, and I woke up and my throat was uh, felt like it was in a state of disrepair. Um, there was big oysters coming out of it and all kinds of things, and Um, I convinced myself, however, as we do, that all is good and that I'll go to work. Uh, I let Elise know um, of my plight and um, that I wasn't feeling all that well. And she said, just don't go to work. Um, And um, that never goes down well with me. I I, uh, still got dressed and I brushed my teeth And I grabbed my computer and I said bye to the family and I grabbed my car keys and I reached for the door handle. And you would be impressed to know that grown-up Dave made an appearance on Tuesday. That in that moment, grown-up Dave said, listen to your wife, don't go to work. Defiant Dave, on the other hand, was not far behind Well, nobody tells me what to do. Just go. Go to work. You'll be fine. She'll be right. That's my life's mantra. She'll be right. If, in fact, the the fact that grown-up Dave shocked you, you'll just about have a conniption when I tell you that I listened to him. It doesn't happen often. So I put my things down and I messaged the team to let them know that on Tuesday, which is our big team day here, we have our team meetings on a Tuesday, that I wouldn't uh, be here to join them. 
However, during the day, um, and this is what Corona has done, right? It's taught us how to do things online. And so during the day, I was still able to dial in and lead our team meeting uh, from home. And that was um, a great time and got our things done. And um, later on that afternoon, I had an, another Zoom call this time with Brett and Jan and uh, Brooke, and we talked all kinds of things. And um, obviously, working from home, they were asking, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm not feeling crash hot um, today. And so they prayed, and I knew that the church was praying for me um, that day. And then that night, I also had an elders meeting that I was supposed to be at down here at the church, but knowing full well that I didn't front up for work because I wasn't feeling all that great. I wasn't particularly interested in giving it to all of the elders of the church either. And so I stayed at home, but also making my position known that I wasn't feeling all that well. And I knew and had full confidence on Tuesday that our team had my back and they were praying for me. Um, even that day, my friend Tom and Lorraine, they're new to our church, they've made a very clear point of praying for me. They ask every week, how can we be praying for you if they're not here? Then I get a text message and um, I let them know of my impending death by man flu and if they could please um, pray. And I had full confidence um, as well this week that uh, my friends Tom and Lorraine were, were praying for me. And... Um, Knowing my body and how the pattern of getting sick uh, and wiped out works, I was certain by Wednesday, the following morning, that I would be as crook as a dog. Uh, you, know, you know when you know, right? You know how your body feels. You know how your body responds. You, you can look back at the last few days and go, oh, that makes sense. That's why I felt tired. And you just know that it's coming. The, the sore throat thing on Tuesday was a telltale sign that I'd be toast by Wednesday and no good for Thursday or for Friday and even I was looking forward to today being Sunday um, even to the point where I was planning on a plan B for who was going to preach on Sunday but because there was a praying church on Tuesday there was a better body by Wednesday and I'm not sure what your Tuesday is, but I know that you're in the right place among a church who prays. That this is a family of prayer. And I know that being in a family prayer and in a praying church means that there is hope for your Wednesday. My Tuesday looked like man flu. Maybe your Tuesday at the moment looks like a bad back. Maybe your Tuesday looks like broken sleep. Maybe your Tuesday at the moment looks like tiredness and burnout. Maybe your Tuesday at the moment looks like being stuck in your mind. Maybe your Tuesday is financial pressure that is keeping you up at night. Maybe your Tuesday is feeling like a terrible parent or an insufficient friend. But my experience this week and the testimony of the Word of God to us this morning is that there is power in a praying church and when things feel very Tuesday, there is always promise of a better Wednesday when there is a church praying for you. And so I want to preach to myself as much as to you this morning and remind us that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. It really does. So let's pray. <laughs> Seems like an apt thing to do. Father, in these moments, Father, I pray that you would remind us of your power. 
Father, remind us that you work through us to bring about change in the world. That as a church, we are called to be a movement of prayer, a movement of people who seek the power of God on behalf of others. We are called to be a movement of people who influence the world to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray that we would see our place in that story this morning. Father, enlighten our eyes to the scriptures that we may see more clearly the life you are calling us to, the power that is within our hands, the resource of prayer that is at our disposal to bless and to love and to change our world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Acts 12, uh, chapter, oh, sorry, Acts 12, 1 to 17, and it can be on the screen, I think, there, uh, Troy. As you get the first one up, I'm going to grab a sip of water. You can follow along. I'm going to read the story. Chapter 12, at about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We have Peter in prison. James has just been killed, been martyred, the first martyr. And now you've seen that it is causing a lot of joy um, to the Jews for the Christians to be persecuted. And so he grabs Peter and he throws him into prison. And the backdrop to this story is a group of Christians, a group of people just like you and I, who have heard the plight of a suffering brother and have gathered to pray. And this is a story of the impact of a praying church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed through the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, 
you're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And so in this context, a lot had already been happening. God was on the move. The Holy Spirit had been released upon the church and was stirring the church, seeing amazing growth happen, seeing the work of Jesus outworked mightily within the community. There was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, a man who was hell-bent on persecuting the church, who had an radical experience along the road where he had a vision of Jesus, and he was then called to follow him, of which he did. The gospel had just opened up to the Gentiles. There was the vision that Peter had had of the, force, of the sheep falling down and all of the animals and all of the bits and pieces. And he was directed to Cornelius' house. A non-Jewish Pentecost took place. This was the moment where the gospel was no longer just for the Jews anymore. It is for anyone who would call upon the Lord. The gospel opened up to everybody. Yet at the same time, persecution began to rise up. The more the acts of the Holy Spirit worked through the believers, the more persecution arose. And the gospel began to spread and spread, and there was a dispersion, what we know as the diaspora. All the the Christians in smaller groups would flee into smaller and different locations, back to hometowns and back to villages, and the gospel would go on and go on and go on and go on. But we read in verse 1 that about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now Herod, this was Herod Agrippa number 1. His grandpa was Herod the Great who ruled in the time of Jesus' birth. Herod the Great is the one um, who commissioned all of the baby boys to be killed as to usurp this potential of who was called the son of God. And then Herod Agrippa was also the nephew of Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas was the one who had a role in the trial of Jesus. This, this, this family of Herods had a strong political game that came with anything that showed resistance to their power. In this case, Jesus and the growing movement of his followers were that threat. And so he, as we read, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. No doubt this was done because it gave him a certain amount of political clout. It pleased his citizens who didn't like the Christians. In fact, in verse 2, it becomes apparent that his disdain for the Jesus movement took its form in horrific persecution. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And we saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to persecute the church even further, to inflict suffering on the Jesus movement even more. And so he arrested Peter. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. See, Herod was a chip off the old block. He was a man addicted to the drug of pleasing people, addicted to power, addicted to his own sense of control, reliant on the system to bolster his own power and his own influence. And the backdrop to that kind of power, someone who flexed their political might, 
someone who used their influence for evil, against that backdrop, there is this beautiful picture of a praying church. And when he seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads, 16 men of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. The word earnest, I like that word, earnest. It literally is the word picture of someone stretching out all they can for something. It comes from the verb, the verb um, ectonos, which is related to the word ectonase, a medical term for something being stretched, a muscle being stretched to the absolute extreme, to its limits. And so what we have here is Peter being thrown in prison and word getting out to the church that Peter is in jail. The message goes out through the church WhatsApp group. The text message gets sent out. The church Facebook page lights up. Peter is in prison. Please pray. And the church gathered and they stretched themselves out in prayer like a child reaching for the chocolates. Eh, Ronnie can't talk yet. Whenever he wants something, he will stretch his entire being up to the kitchen bench, particularly if there's biscuits or chocolates involved. Eh, 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 eh. And there is an earnestness about his posture. This is the way that the church gathered on Peter's behalf. A church in earnest prayer. A church that was willing to take itself to a place of discomfort on behalf of another. A church that was willing to sacrifice their own safety on behalf of another. This was earnest prayer, not the kind of prayers that sometimes I find myself just mumbling off the cuff. Just the kind of prayers of convenience, the prayers of um, comfort, the prayers of when it suits my schedule, the prayers of when it fits into my timeline. The picture that we have is of, of a church on its knees at great expense to itself on behalf of another. See, earnest prayer has power not because it persuades a reluctant God, but because it demonstrates that our hearts care deeply about the things that God cares about. When we pray in line with the heart and will of God for ourselves and for others and for our world, his promise in Scripture is to act. In John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. See, Jesus didn't make this promise with empty intention. He made this promise so that we would have power to change the world. When we position ourselves in the abiding love of Jesus, when we experience, when our experience and our reality is one of closeness and of relationship with Christ, when our hearts and our minds and communities are steeped in his word, we don't have to twist God's arm to act. It is the deepest pleasure of King Jesus to act on your behalf when what matters to him matters to you. So stay close, catch his heart, pray earnestly, and watch his will unfold. Stay close, catch the Lord's heart. Ask him each day, Lord, what matters to you today? 
if I could give you a practical tip in being a church that prays, in being a person that prays. Lord, what's, what's on your heart today? Catch his heart. Pray earnestly and watch his will unfold. See, one of the three core values that we practice as a family of churches is prayer. Alongside story and alongside justice, the value of prayer has been a deeply held and deeply seated value as a church. And that ought not come as a surprise to you, being that we are a church. However, I am convinced that the Lord is leading us to a deepened concern and more passionate vigilance for what he cares about and what he is doing in our world. I feel like if our journey of prayer as a church has been already an incredibly scenic drive, one filled with views of grandeur and things that have blown our minds, that we have seen through prayer God move in incredible ways in people's lives, there would be testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of what God has already done. But as we continue to stretch out, to reach out, to extend ourselves in earnest prayer on behalf of the things that matter most to God, I believe there will be a remarkable revelation of God's power in us and through us that we have not yet experienced. And I believe the church is hungering for it, not just this one, but the church worldwide is hungering for an experience of God's power like never seen before. And I believe that it will be grounded in Jesus' promise. That as we abide in him and he abide in us and as we listen and we soak and we steep in his, in his word, that whatever we ask in accordance with his will, that when we pray what matters most to God, we'll see his arms move, that we'll see him reach out and change the world around us. Before I want to go on, I want to recognize something of this prayer journey of this small church in Acts chapter 12. And that is that it's hard to pray for Peter when James just got murdered. And I'm sure that the church knew what was going on with James, that James was in trouble, that James was being called into the principal's office, that James has been a naughty boy, and that Herod doesn't deal well with naughty Jesus boys. They would have been fearful for his life as much as James was fearful for his own life. And I have no doubt that if the church was gathered to pray for Peter, they also gathered to pray for James. But yet it didn't turn out quite as they were, I'm sure, praying for. I mean, sometimes it can be confusing when we pray for one thing and we see God move, while at the same time we can pray for another and it doesn't quite turn out how we would like it to. I would say to you this morning, just because their prayers didn't seem to come good for James, it didn't change their commitment and their passion to pray for Peter. Uh, I, I think I have learned, or I think I am learning, that in prayer our job is never to control the outcome but to obey God and trust him in the process. I mean, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, even when we're disappointed, even when it didn't work out the way we thought it would, even when we prayed the last time and our prayer wasn't answered in the way that we would have hoped it be answered, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. 
it would have been tremendously hard for them to come to terms with what had happened to James. But they were unwavering in their prayer for Peter. I think what they may have done and what would serve us well is often to grieve the disappointment and take it to the Lord. But church, never stop praying for Peter. Never stop praying for that thing that you are praying for, even though there is disappointment in the background, because the Word of God this morning will tell us that there is still power in our prayers and there is power in a praying church. And so Herod, he was about to bring Peter out on that very night. The Word tells us that Peter was sleeping. Uh, I, I first thought that might have been some kind of error in the Bible that Peter was sleeping. I, if I was Peter, I think I would have been pacing. If I was Peter, I probably would have been worrying. I mean, he knows what happened to James. He knows how this story unfolds of people who are doing the work of Jesus in this cultural moment. He knows that this has happened to James. He, he shouldn't be sleeping. He should be pacing the jail cells, right? Peter shouldn't be sleeping. Peter should be worrying. Peter shouldn't be sleeping. If I was Peter, I would be confused. Lord, I thought that on this rock you would build your church, but here I am in jail. What do you mean? I'm not sleeping. I'm going to pace my way around and I'm going to worry in this jail cell. If I was Peter, I don't think I'd be sleeping. I think I'd be complaining. This isn't what I signed up for. I had a heaps better life fishing on the lake. And now here I am in this dark and dingy prison. I'm going to whinge until the sun comes up. But Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. Peter, as we do, he, he shut his eyes and he went into light sleep. If you've got a Fitbit, it'll tell you when it happens. And then you go into deep sleep. And then you go into this REM sleep. See, sleep is the place that our minds and our bodies are healed and renewed. When new neural pathways are formed, when we sleep, it is like all of the loose ends of the plugs that have been unplugged from the walls or new things or experiences we've learned and they've created new things. What happens when we sleep is all of those loose ends get plugged in to the places they're meant to get plugged into. And when we sleep, it is the time where all of the amino acids that we've eaten in the protein in our day strengthen our muscles. See, at this point, Peter's outside circumstances hadn't yet changed, but his inside condition was being renewed before he was being released. And what I see in this scripture is that there is a process to Peter's freedom, and the first step is not walking out the doors, but having his heart healed and his mind renewed and his spirit and his body strengthened. That because of the power of a praying church, there was a capacity for his anxious mind to be calmed to the point where he could sleep in the midst of his prison experience. And such is the power of a praying church. The power of a praying church is that it carries people to a place of healing and renewal and strength in the midst of their hardship. 
such as the grace of God, that freedom begins even before the chains fall off and even before the gates open. And such is the power of a praying church that into the moment of Peter's most anxious moment, the Lord calmed his racing mind and renewed his anxious heart. Maybe he was singing Psalm 127. He gives his beloved sleep. And so friends, I want to remind you that you are in the right place. That there is the power of a praying church around you, not because of anything we can do, but because God is at work among his church. I'll tell you a story of a guy, uh, Pastor Joseph, he had just left his home. Hopping into his car and turning the keys in the ignition and pushing the accelerator as he had many times before. Only this time he began his familiar journey, but this time it felt different. As he journeyed toward the church where he was a pastor, he sensed in his spirit that this was not a normal day. Almost right away, an explosion ripped through the car, violently shaking the vehicle and at the same time engulfing his car in flames. I was totally confused and I couldn't see anymore, he remembers. Though disoriented and in shock, He could hear a woman's hysterical voice piercing his ears. This man is dying, she screamed. This is it, Pastor Joseph resolved. I'm dying. Except for somehow he didn't. Instead, against all odds, Pastor Joseph was able to exit the rapidly burning vehicle. His sight returned in time for him to see the entire wreckage engulf itself in flames. Each part of my car was destroyed and damaged, he writes except for my seat. Pastor Joseph described, I had no scratches, the car was in flames, but I wasn't burned. I found pieces of glass in my hair and four parts of the bomb in the scarf I had around my neck, as if a scarf could stop a bomb. Nothing touched me, I lost not even a drop of blood. The young pastor was dumbfounded by how his life had been spared. He immediately credited his survival to the hand of the Lord. God gave me additional time, he said. He put his stamp on my ministry and said, go on, and God encouraged me that day. Seven years later, the Islamic State took control of big parts of Iraq. The Muslims began coming to Christ in surprising numbers. It was then that Pastor Joseph understood why God wanted him to stay in Baghdad. He says that when someone asks me why I remain with my family in Baghdad, I tell them this story, he explains. There is violence everywhere, persecution everywhere. We suffer from the same things as all the people here suffer from, and we want to be with them. Pastor Joseph Brush with death convinced him of one thing, and he says it this way, I know God is with me each moment. I can't reconcile my experience of life and faith with Pastor Joseph's. And I find myself asking the question, what is it that enables Pastor Joseph to not only survive such targeted and evil attacks, but have the peace of mind and clarity of calling to continue ministering in such a place of chaos and devastation and war? What is it? What is it that gives someone that capacity? Let me ask you another question. Over the last 20 years that, as a church, we have been supporting the work of Open Doors. How many times have we prayed for pastors like Pastor Joseph? How many times over the years, as Jen has got up here and shared of her time in the Middle East and right across the world, how many times, even 
15 years ago when I worked with Open Doors, the, the suffering we saw through South America and through China and through Indonesia, how many times as a church have we prayed for people like Pastor Joseph? You know, I am convinced that it is the prayers of the saints across the breadth of the, local, of the global church that continues to make the, God, the way for God to move in powerful ways amongst not just our church, but more importantly, the persecuted church worldwide. See, when Pastor Joseph should have been pacing in the prison of his persecution, because of the power of a praying church, because people like you and I in the postcode 2229 on the other side of the world pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters right across the globe, he can sleep in the midst of his prison in the, peace, in the knowledge that the peace of God is with him. That is the power of a praying church. The power of a praying church brings calm in chaos and clarity in confusion. And that's an encouragement this morning that for the people you are praying for, and it's probably likely even just yourself, that there is clarity in your confusion for you this morning in Jesus' name. That God is going to give you the peace to sleep through whatever prison you feel like you are sitting in at the moment. Because if it was happening for Peter, my conviction is that it can happen for you and I. That in the place when we feel like we're locked up and locked down and we feel like we're embattled in the midst of hardship. That the gift of a praying church is to pray that there would be calm in people's chaos and there would be clarity in their place of confusion. I remember being in the Maluku Islands in Far East Indonesia only 12 months after an enormous riot had broken out between the Muslim and the Christian population and Jen had taken myself and Elise and um, a couple of other young people um, over there. I'm not entirely sure what she was thinking but it was one of the scariest experiences that we have ever had. And we went to a church, just a small church, uh, probably 15 people gathered in a tiny little church by the ocean side and we sat there and we Listen to the story of a woman and what had happened to her brother and her son. And one day they set out to go fishing. Her, her brother took her, her son and they went uh, fishing together as they would often do. Uh, however, they didn't come home that day. Uh, for many days they looked for um, this gentleman and for her son to no avail. They searched and they searched and they searched. However, about three or four days had passed and Eventually, someone found these two men dismembered in a skip bin. And this was the result of a revenge attack where the Christians who were not quite sure what the situation was, but the Muslim population took it upon themselves to wreak some more devastation on the Christian community by targeting families. And as we sat and we listened to the story of this woman as she told us, told us about the murder of her brother and her son, feeling completely and utterly helpless in that situation, completely void of any capacity to feel what she is feeling or to understand what she needs, but yet we still ask the question, what is it that we can do for you? And she said one thing, please pray for me. And so we did and, and still we, we do and still we ought to. You know, in our affluence and our safety, it can be harder to see the power of a praying church. 
But for our sister in Indonesia and for those suffering around the world, there is no greater gift nor greater act of love than to pray. I've been flicking through the news just every night at the moment, looking at what's happening in Israel and Gaza and the the conflict that is happening. And I can only just imagine the devastation that the church is facing in that place. There is no greater gift that we have to offer than the gift of prayer for those who are facing a prison of their own. I was encouraged yesterday, there's a WhatsApp group even among us called The Prayer Room. Uh, Some of you are on it, and if you're not, you're welcome to join, and we can give you the link. But yesterday, Bredo sent out a message uh, regarding a lady in Cambodia named Kuntia, and she's one of our sisters in Cambodia. In fact, Shrey Pike, who is the pastor of Kingsway in um, Phnom Penh, this is her auntie, and she's been in ICU for two days. And her, her health has been deteriorating rapidly to the point where they're not sure what is going on in her body and that they are trying a last-ditch effort literally as we gather this morning to save her life. And Bredo just put out a message yesterday on WhatsApp just to say, please pray urgently. And even just to see the praying hands emoji light up on my screen, ding, 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 ding. I was encouraged to know that I am part of a praying church. My Wednesday wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for a praying church. That I wouldn't be able to preach this morning if it wasn't for a praying church. That my friend in in Indonesia, she wouldn't be able to get past and, and be able to grieve and forgive well if it wasn't for a praying church. Pastor Joseph, he would be dead if it wasn't for a praying church. There is power in a praying church. If you're not sure what my point is this morning, it's that there's power in a praying church. See, Peter was between, not just asleep, but he was between, he was in between two soldiers. In between, in between. I want to I speak to someone here this morning who feels stuck between some things. Maybe you feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. And for Peter, it was a prison guard on one side and a prison guard on the other side. Maybe you feel like you are stuck between fear and you are stuck between doubt. Maybe this morning you feel like you are stuck between addiction and you are stuck between loneliness. And here you are in between. Maybe this morning you feel stuck between expectations and tiredness. Maybe this morning you feel stuck between those insidious pair, guilt and shame. Maybe you feel stuck between negativity and poor choices. Maybe you feel stuck this morning between stress and poor health. I want you to know that you are not alone. That all of us have an in-between. All of us at times have a moment of being in-between. In-between things that we feel we cannot escape 
in between things that feel like they are so close and so visceral at any moment that we don't know where to turn. And it is becoming more apparent and familiar to me that feeling stuck is part of the growing nature of the complexity of the world that we live in. The demands upon your time and my time, the impacts of social media on your heart and your mind and my heart and my mind, the pressure of leveling up to others' expectations of you and even the expectations you have of yourself, the culture of busyness, the over-programmed life, the inability to escape, the guilt that comes with resting, all of this can leave us feeling stuck between, stuck between where we are and where we know we'd hope to be. And I sense the Lord this morning wants to release some people from the in-between, from the feeling of the places of stuckness of the things that are keeping you bound. Peter was bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Not only was he stuck between two soldiers, but he was held by two chains, not just one chain as what would have been customary, but two chains, and not just chained to two guards, but then furthermore, at the very gate and and door of his prison cell, there was two more guards. I think what Dr. Luke in this account is trying to tell us is that Peter's plight and any chance of getting out of here alive was an impossible task. And I'm reminded as I read this passage of Scripture that the impossibility of a situation is the canvas that God uses to do the miraculous. That Herod's intention was never going to trump God's purposes. And the same is true for your life. The intention of the enemy to keep you stuck and to keep you bound and to keep you in between and to keep you under lock and key is no match for the power of God through a church who prays. It is in the moments when we feel most stuck and most vulnerable and most weak that God moves in power to free us. I mean, think about the Israelites fleeing Egypt. Talk about an in-between time, in-between an impending chasing army barreling down the hill of a raid of knots, and you are in-between it on one side, and on the other side there is an immovable ocean. I'm not sure about you, but if you have stood on the shores of Cronulla Beach and thinking that you can run to New Zealand, you are deluded and sick in the mind. It doesn't happen. However... In their in-betweenness, in between their rock and a hard place, God gives them one instruction. And I won't say the S word. I will, I will. He said, be silent. I will fight for you. That is the gift of God is that it is not in our capacity to fight our way out of the stuckness and out of the in-betweenness and out of the prisons and out of the places where we feel bound and chained and held and locked down. It is the power of God in our silence and in our imperfection as that is the place where he works. In Peter's case and in many that I've seen, God's weapon of choice to rescue his people and drown enemies is a praying church. And such is the case in point. Into the impossibility of Peter's locked up situation, 
bound, chained, in between, behind one gate, behind another gate, behind other guards, behind the city's iron gate, the impossibility, but yet as the church prayed for Peter, the darkness moved aside and filled the room. And I'm encouraged that a praying church lights up dark places. That I know for many of you, you live, exist and breathe in realms beyond this Jesus community in places where you work, in places where you play, in social groups that you hang out with, that they are dark places. And you can rest assured knowing full well that because of the infilling of Holy Spirit as you go, you light up the darkness, but together the collective nature of this Jesus community, that as we go we are commissioned, that we are a church who pray for one another, and I believe wholeheartedly that into the dark prison cells of all of those places that you go, the Lord is going to bring light because you are there. A praying church lights up dark places. And then the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him. Whack! Get up! I believe that a praying church stirs angels into action. I don't have a theology of angels nailed. But I believe when we pray for protection, when we pray for safety for people, when we commission people from the very front, now, we prayed for the Hunzikers just a, a couple of weeks ago on their, on their journey around Australia for six months. And when we pray that God would protect them, and what's the language we love to use as Christians? A hedge of protection. <laughs> That's the Christianese version of saying, God, just go with them. We use these fans, a hedge of protection. Uh, we prayed for the hedge of protection. And they've been traveling safely and along. They've, sure, they've had some hiccups. And Marcus texted me this week and he said, Dave, God is so good. He's just brought another family of five kids. I'm like, who else could be that mad to go around Australia with five kids? <laughs> Surely there is another one and they're in a bus. He said, we met this family and we found out they're Christians. And now we're kind of traveling. We've met up along the way. And he said, we've been so encouraged Um, by this family along the way. And you know what? I believe that God's grace is on their trip just as it is when you go because this is a praying church. And we pray and we commission, God commissions and he, he, he empowers his angels to go and stir things up. And this in particular one got into Peter's cell and came to him and said, get up quickly. The angel was stirred into action. I love the scripture that's echoed in Psalm 51, but it's written in Luke 4.10, He will command his angels concerning you and guard you carefully. And so as this little church continued to pray, as they gathered in a home, here is what happened. As the church prayed for Peter, the chains fell off his hands. And as the church prayed in earnest and reached out for him, the angel said to him, put your clothes on and put on your sandals. And as the church prayed, Peter wrapped his cloak around himself and followed the angel. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. But yet, as the church prayed, they passed through the first guard. And as the church prayed, they passed through the second guard. As the church prayed, they got to the city's iron gates and they opened all upon their own. There is power in a praying church. 
power to bring freedom to the captive, power to release the brokenhearted, power to pass through the impassable, power to make blind eyes see and seeing eyes blind, power to unlock iron gates, strongholds that keep people stuck, power to experience the grace and the kindness of God. Let's keep being a church who prays because there is power in a praying church. Peter came to himself eventually and he said, Now that I am sure the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. See, Herod expected his political power and prisons to keep Peter at bay, but power in the church looks different than power in the world. The power of the church is not in its ability to coerce, in its ability to manipulate in its ability to flex its influence and to get its way, the power of the church is in the earnestness of its prayers. It is prayer that beat the prison. It is prayer that interrupted the system. And that's the power of a praying church. It usurps the systems of the world designed to keep you stuck and prayer undoes their power. Prayer sets you free. And I want to remind you again, if you are stuck, you are in the right place because this is a church who prays. When Peter realized that he was free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. What a beautiful picture. That the church that had been praying for Peter's release from prison, he ends up turning up as the answer, as the miracle for the thing that they had been praying for and I guess Peter had a choice with what he would do with his freedom in this moment right and Peter as he stood there and he came to himself and he realized in all of a sudden in a flash of a moment God has set me free the angel this wasn't a dream I'm not making this up it wasn't just last night's pizza repeating on me all over again this is actually happening I'm a free man he had a choice to make he could have gone to the coffee shop he could have gone for a swim at the beach he could have gone to play Yahtzee. He could have gone anywhere. He could have gone for a run or a walk or to the gym. He could have gone to the pub. He could have gone out for dinner. He could have gone and caught up with his mates. But Peter went to the place of prayer. And Paul's words remind us of how we are to live as free people because that is who we are. We are free people. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The greatest gift we can give as people set free is the gift of prayer for those who are suffering. May we not use our freedom to serve ourselves, but to seek God's heart for others. Because that is who we are. People who seek God's heart for others. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate. She shut it in his face. (laughs) Hi! Whack! Ran back in. I found that entertaining, even if you didn't. She went back in and they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that this was so and they kept saying, it is his angel. Now sometimes I think that our miracle is knocking at the door, but our lack of faith can keep us from seeing it. You know, we pray for so long, so hard about things, and we 
continue to doubt, but yet the, our miracle that our miracle is standing at the door. I'm here, and we go, and we, we, we hear what we think it could be, but, but yet maybe because we're distracted, maybe because we're too busy, or maybe because we're doubt, maybe we've allowed some in unbelief to potentially climb in, and we, we start putting our faith in ourselves, and maybe, and I know this is true for me, that sometimes I've got more faith um, that the thing isn't going to happen than the faith that the thing is going to happen, and, and so I know at times in my life there's been miracles there's been miracles knocking at the door but yet i've slammed the door in its face not recognizing the work of god in my life and when this happens in my own life i've got to stop and ask some questions am i allowing the past experience to limit what god can do right now is the disappointment of the past dictating the terms of my faith for the future do I truly believe in the power that God has given me? Do I really trust in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit within me? I wonder what's right in front of you that you're not seeing. Maybe just maybe the answer to the prayer you've been praying for is knocking at the door. But maybe you've lost hope. And this morning I want us to, to spend some time in prayer before we finish up this morning as we worship together that maybe the Lord wants to show you that there is a miracle knocking at your door that you've been praying for for so long, but yet for whatever reason you've been blinded to it, you haven't seen it, you've shut the door in it. And God wants to remind you this morning of his faithfulness and kindness and love and his mercy towards you and remind you that there is a church in this room who prays for you. That there is a leadership team of this church who prays for you. There are elders who gather every month to pray for you. That this is a place of prayer. And I believe wholeheartedly in the power of a praying church because I can see through the word of God what happens. It sets people free. It releases the chains. It gets people unstuck from their in-betweens. And I believe this morning God wants to do some of that work among us. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. My encouragement in all of this is that it wasn't the perfect faith of people or the infallible faith of the, church, of the church that delivered the miracle. In fact, the opposite is always true. In spite of our perfection, God is perfect. Even when we doubt, He is faithful. When we falter, He is true. Let's stand together. I'm aware that in the, as I've shared the word this morning and even in this moment, there may be um, things that have come up for you in um, your heart or your mind that may be causing you um, stress in this moment or causing you um, maybe some anxiety. And um, Number one, I want to assure you that you're in a safe place and that God is a safe God and um, that whatever emotion you might be experiencing is, um, is welcome in this room and it is not foreign to God and He sees you and He loves you this morning regardless. Uh, I'm also aware that there are prayer needs that um, you may have and that you've pray, been praying for for a long time and um, there can often be a lot of emotion attached to those things and um, I know that there are situations that you're believing for and been praying for in your own family, in your own life that are also at times um, can be very sensitive and, and you know, can be... Um, so this is a safe place for us to pray this morning. 
It's what I would want to say to you. And um, I, I hope that you could trust that um, even, even just a, a bit um, because I believe it to be true. And, and I want us to pray this morning and I, I'm not, not going to call out all of the individual things that are going on, um, but this is a room of prayer. This is a family of prayer. Uh, we exist in a culture of prayer. This is a place steeped in the presence of Holy Spirit. And as um, we don't even have the words, He gives us words and He gives us the words to pray. And so I want you to pray for yourself this morning. I want you to bring those emotions and those feelings and those situations and those circumstances. And I don't want you to talk out really out loud when we're all wearing masks. We can't really do that kind of thing um, in any case. But from um, the, 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 the voice of your heart, come before the Lord this morning and um, bring these, these prayer needs to Him because there's power in a praying church. And I, I believe and I've got faith to believe that what happened in the small room in Mary's house as they prayed, Peter was set free. I've got faith to believe that this morning as we pray that you can be set free. And so bring your heart to Him this morning. Um, cry out to Him in the quietness of your heart and bring again those things you've been praying for. Bring to Him this morning the thing um, that you've been asking for. Bring to Him the disappointments of the James. The thing that didn't work out last time when you prayed, don't let that stop praying for you. Peter in this moment this morning. Because there's power as we pray together. And that is true from the youngest people in the room to the oldest people in the room, that there is power in a praying church. And so for all of these things, let's take a moment as the band plays and pray. Um, we'll just take five minutes here, if that's okay, team. And um, I'll close up in a minute. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.